The disciples of Jesus bickered with each other about who was the greatest. Trent Griffith says we can learn some lessons from them. Do you understand Jesus did not rebuke them for their desire to be great? Jesus wants you to have an ambition to be great. I want to be a great disciple. To aspire to greatness is something Jesus doesn't rebuke. He just redefines what it means to be great. To be great means you have to become like a little child. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Success, achievement, status, influence. In a world where we're pressured to make something of ourselves, we need to be reminded of Jesus's teaching on how to be truly great. That's where we're headed in this message from Pastor Trent Griffith. You know, I could start listing all of Pastor Trent's credentials right now. I could give you a list of ways that he's really done well as a pastor of Gospel City Church. But that would fly in the face of what we're about to hear Here's Pastor Trent with a further introduction. We're still in the Gospel of Luke, still marching verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke, but we're in a new section now. If you've been around for the last few months, you realize the last sermon series was called, Who Do You Say I Am? That's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. One of them got the answer correct. You are the Christ of God. And once you know the answer to that question... That leads you to ask a question of Jesus. And here's the question. Jesus, who do you say I am? So if you know the answer to the first question, who Jesus is, you've got to ask him the question, who am I? What do you want to do in my life? What's my true identity? How do I live this out? And so the title of this series is called... Who does Jesus say that I am? Now, how many of you know what a goat is? Do you know what a goat is? How many of you know what a goat is? Raise your hand if you know what a goat is. Now, if in your mind's eye right now, you are thinking of a small furry animal, that's not what I'm talking about. How many of you know what a goat is if it's not a small furry animal? How many, what, what is a goat? What do we call it? The greatest of all time. And we have goats in basketball. Right, we have LeBron James, Christian Leitner, Christian Leitner. No, is there is there another guy? Back in the '90s, was there a guy? Yeah. Okay. So now we have division in the church because I brought the subject up. Okay. And then you know you got football. You know, greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, you get a choice between Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. It's hard to decide. Sorry. Brady Quinn? Did I hear Brady Quinn in the answer? Oh, Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. See, now we got a debate. So listen, there's debates about that. Here's my question for you this morning. Who is the goat disciple of Jesus? Who is the greatest of all time disciple? Do you know that is an appropriate question? Maybe you say, well, that's too big of a scope. What if we reduced it to just the number of people that are in this room right now, in the four walls that is this room. Who is the greatest disciple? Who is the greatest disciple in this room? If we lined everybody up from the greatest to least, who would be at the head of the line? Are you thinking? I mean, look around the room. You're, you're allowed to look. Look around the room. Who do you think is the... Is some, go ahead and look. 
Now, now so, some of you may be looking around and you're going, I mean, I'm looking around the room. I, it, it could be me. Listen, if you're thinking that it's you, I guarantee you it's not, okay? <laughs> You've disqualified yourself if you thought of yourself, okay? Because what we're gonna learn from Jesus today is who he says you are. You are not who you think you are. And if you want to be the greatest, you have to become like a child. And we're gonna see that here in the passage this morning. I got four points for you this morning. I'm gonna throw the first point at you before I read it. Here it is. Greatness is exemplified by Jesus's work on the cross. Let's pick up the story, Luke chapter 9, verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. I hope that sentence describes what just happened in the first 30 minutes of this worship service. I mean, I hope that you were so astonished at the majesty of God, it melted your face off as you were singing about this good God that meets us in the middle of our need. That's what had been happening through the first nine chapters of Luke. Luke. You could say that's a summary statement of everything that we've been studying. Everybody was astonished at the majesty of God on display in Jesus Christ. But while they were marveling at everything he was doing, you remember the things that he was doing? What was he doing? He was healing the sick. He was feeding 5,000. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. I mean, while they were marveling at simultaneous, don't miss anything in the language of scripture here. While they were marveling, while their heads were exploding with the power and the authority and the greatness of the majesty of Jesus. Notice what Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44. Let these words sink into your ears. Stop right there. What Jesus is about to say cannot remain in the shallow parts of your heart. What Jesus is about to say must sink. It must have such weight that it goes down into the very controlling parts of your heart. Because what Jesus is about to say is going to seem contradictory to everything they have been marveling at. What is he about to say? Let these words sink into your ears. Here it is. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Why? To show the greatest act of humility in the history of the world. You think raising the dead is great? You think getting healed of sickness is great? You think casting out demons is great? Let these words sink down deep into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Do you understand? Jesus had entrusted his life into the hands of God. And the hands of God the Father 
are about to deliver God the Son into the hands of men. And we know what the hands of men are going to do to Jesus. The hands of men are going to nail the hands of Jesus to a cross in torture and in pain. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be spat upon. His beard is going to be yanked out. His back is going to be whipped. There's going to be a sword go through his side. He's going to be delivered into the evil hands of men. Why? To show the greatest act in human history as Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. The God who came from heaven, embodied himself in a man, is about to be mistreated. He's about to be misunderstood. He's about to yield his rights to be worshiped. He's not going to defend. He's not going to argue. He's going to lay his life down for those of us who are needy. Jesus is going to elevate the needs of others in front of himself. Let these words sink deep down into your ears. Let's see if that happened for the disciples. Verse 45. But they did not understand this saying. Does that surprise anybody? Do you know these guys well enough by now to know they're a little hard of hearing? They're a little difficult for them to understand things? It says, they didn't understand this saying and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him about this. Not only did they not understand, they were afraid to ask Jesus to help them understand. Were you ever that guy in class that was just a little behind everybody else in the class when the teacher was explaining something on the whiteboard and you didn't understand, but you were too afraid to embarrass yourself and lift your hand? It's like, I, you know what? I don't have any fear of anybody thinking I'm stupid, but I don't quite understand. No, what happens to most of us? We let pride kind of take over. It's like, I don't want anybody to think I don't understand, so I'm going to pretend like I understand, but I'm, I'm going to flunk the test. And then I'm really going to understand that I don't understand right? So was I the only one? Was I the only one that dealt with that? That's what these guys are thinking. They're afraid to look stupid. They're afraid to humble themselves and appear to be weak. So they zipped up and they pretended like they understood. Let's find out if they understood. Here's the second point. Greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. Greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. So Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. My hands are going to be nailed. I'm going to put your life in front of my life. I'm not going to defend. Greatest act of humility in human history. Next verse, verse 46. And an argument arose among them about which one was the greatest. Well, of course, I mean, it, that's exactly the response that the disciples should have to the message of the cross, right? To like break out into an argument. I mean, all the other disciples were gathering around, fight, 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 right? It's like, it's junior high. We are in junior high discipleship right now, okay? So these guys are fighting with each other about who was the greatest. Maybe one of them, you know, you remember the story that we were in last week, right? The, the guys were going up the mountain of transfiguration. Do you remember Jesus didn't take all 12? He, how many did he take? 
He took three, left the other nine behind. Well, surely those wouldn't have been the greatest, right? Because those were remedial disciples. And so maybe it's among the three. So uh, Peter, James, and John must have been busting out in a fight about who the greatest was. And maybe Peter says, well, I've got the greatest knowledge of Jesus. Maybe James says, well, I've got the greatest surrender. And maybe John said, well, I, I made the greatest sacrifice in coming anyway. And so maybe they're, they're comparing their accomplishments and their greatness to see who is at the head of the line. Verse 47, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, does this scare you a little bit that Jesus knows the reasonings of your heart? Because are sometimes the reasonings of your heart like not things you would like to know, Jesus to know? Yeah, well, he knows those things. And you think, well, if he knew me, he wouldn't like me and he would probably not pay any attention to me. Not true. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew the reasoning of their heart. Do you know what he did? He loved them, he cared for them, and he tried to help them understand. Notice, it says, he took a child, put him by his side, and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. Do you understand Jesus did not rebuke them for their desire to be great? Jesus wants you to have an ambition to be great. I want to be a great disciple. I want you to be the GOAT disciple of all time. To aspire to greatness is something Jesus doesn't rebuke. He just redefines what it means to be great. To be great means you have to become like a little child. But the problem is, is our hearts break out into arguments all the time about how great we are. That's what the disciples were doing. Inside my heart, there is an argument for my greatness. I, in a sense, I just, it's the broken part of me. It's the pride deep down on the inside. I stand before Jesus and I'm like, I'm pretty great, don't you think, Jesus? I mean, look at me. Because, I mean, if you compare me to all the other people in the room, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And we want to argue for our greatness. But listen, the cross of Jesus Christ argues against my greatness. If there was any greatness in me, the cross would be unnecessary. The cross shouts, I'm not great. Who does Jesus say I am? Not great. Not great. You want to be great, you have to redefine your definition of greatness. Pride is a disease that lives on the inside of me that is only treated and cured at the cross. And at the cross, nobody's great. You come to the cross, you set your face on the cross, you focus on the cross, and it shouts to you, you should humble yourself in the presence of the greatest act of humility that's ever been done in human history. So Jesus pulls a child beside him and uses the child as an illustration of what we should be like. Now, there is a difference between childishness and childlikeness. How many of you have noticed a child being childish? Don't be like that. That's selfish. That's what Jesus is trying to get us from. But childlikeness is humble, dependent, vulnerable, and needy. 
And that's what we are in the presence of Jesus. And that's why if you don't have any children in your life that you're intersecting with, that's why maybe one of the greatest acts of your own discipleship would be to serve in children's ministry. Not to disciple children so that the children would disciple you and convince you of how needy you are. Because if you don't think you're needy, you step into a room with two-year-olds, you are needy. You need Jesus and the Holy Spirit and help, right? I mean, and you're like, Jesus, help me. Yeah, it puts you in a place of dependence. And Jesus uses this child to help illustrate that. Back in the first century, children had no value. They had no significance or value or worth. And so Jesus elevates a child and says, you want to be great? You got you to gotta receive a child. You got to be the least. True greatness elevates others. True greatness fights for the bottom so that you can support others. I want to be great. Does that, that disturb you at all? Like, I don't know if I told my, my friend at Walmart that my pastor wanted to be great. They would think that was a virtue. No, it is a virtue. I want to be the goat of disciples. I want to be great at being the least. I want to be great at putting the needs of others, especially my wife, ahead of myself. I want to be great at setting others up to win. I want to be great at putting others in a position to thrive. I want to be great about talking about the greatness of others, not the greatness of me. I want to be great at being unknown. I want to be great at being ignored. I want to be great at being forgotten. I want to be great at being misunderstood. I want to be great at being insulted. I want to be great at being slandered. I don't know about you. I am not great at those things. But I aspire to grow as a disciple because the depth of my greatness is determined by the depth of my humility. You know what a disciple says? I want to be great at being crucified. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. How are you doing at that? That's what God calls us to, not to argue with ourselves about our greatness. Here's the third thing. Greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do things my way. Let's see what happens next. Let's see if the disciples are gaining some understanding. Jesus, okay, here's a child. You need to be like the child. Be like the least. All right, so John steps up in verse 49. Let's see if he figures it out. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now, what would you expect to come next for a great disciple? I think a great disciple would have said, we were so happy. We were so glad that we weren't the only ones fighting with the devil. We, we, we gathered around and we prayed and, and we even took notes on how they cast them out. Let's, let, let's see if that happened. Um, John says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Uh, no, John, you, you don't quite understand. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. So they, they still don't understand here. 
Um, I spent this week in Oklahoma with my mom. So I told you my mom fell, she broke her ankle, brought her home and got her settled this week in her home. And uh, so last night I flew back here in anticipation of being with you this morning. I got um, at the airport about uh, 10.30, my daughter picked me up. About 11 o'clock last night, we came into my neighborhood. And when we came into my neighborhood, I noticed my very quiet neighborhood had been turned into a block party at one house. And there was a drunken rock concert going on in the backyard of one of my neighbors. And the song that was blaring through my neighborhood at 11 o'clock last night when I drove in was a song I remember hearing back when I was a teenager. It was running with the devil. Some of you started like nodding your head when I was going like, like I'm like, are we okay here? So I, I couldn't wait to get to church this morning to do what we did to like drown out what I was hearing last night at 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock and one o'clock in the morning as this was going on. I mean, there was just a spirit of darkness in the neighborhood last night and I was praying, you know. Now listen, last night, if there was some other neighbor that like joined with me in praying against the darkness, and if there was some other neighbor that went over and started like casting out demons out of my neighbor or the neighbor's backyard, I, I would not have cared if they were using the right-handed demon casting technique or the left-handed demon casting technique. It wouldn't have mattered to me if they were male or female, black or white, rich, poor. It wouldn't have mattered if, if they were uh, Wolverine, Irish. It just wouldn't have mattered because I would have just been glad to know I wasn't the only one fighting the devil in my neighborhood last week. But these disciples are so arrogant, they think they're the only ones that can fight the devil. Wait, you can't, you can't be just like going up and like casting out demons in Jesus' name because you're not part of the 12. You're, 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 you, you can't do that. You see what pride and arrogance will do? It makes you have a spirit of elitism. And it makes you very critical of people who don't do things exactly like you do things. And so if you are the person that thinks that you have to be the demon casting police or the worship police or, or the preaching police, especially like on social media, like you got no guts at all like to walk up to somebody and talk to them, but man, you are a brave person on Twitter, then you need to take a lesson from Jesus here because greatness is revealed when I don't demand that everyone do everything my way. That's Trent Griffith with a challenging perspective on what it means to be truly great. You know, Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he didn't model for us himself. Even though he came from heaven, even though he's the king of glory, he humbled himself and became the friend of sinners. He himself said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Laura's story sings about here. You have shown us what is holy, how to bless the Father's heart, to act justly and love mercy. Come 
greatness comes as we humble ourselves, just as Jesus did. That's Laura's story with Friend of Sinners. Before that, we heard Trent Griffith explaining what it means to be called to greatness. He'll finish that message next week right here on Resonate. Well, one of the ways that you can be a servant is in your local body of believers, in your church. Can you think of how you can serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, in your church? Well, if you're looking for a church to call home, why not consider Gospel City Church? We gather in both Granger and in Elkhart County, Indiana. For more information about when and where we get together, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And there's more great content on our Facebook page. You'll find us there by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, how utilitarian is your approach to Jesus? Or as Pastor Trent is going to ask us next week. Question, you have any use for Jesus if he doesn't heal your sickness? You have any use for Jesus if he doesn't make your life easier? Is it enough for you that he went to Jerusalem and had nails driven through his hands on behalf of you? to atone for your sin? Is that enough for you? Or do you only receive him when he makes your life easier? Ouch. I hope you'll join us right here on Resonate for more sore toes next week. But it's the good kind of sore. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that true greatness would resonate in your life this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.